You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 34 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I am your host, Bart Bouchotts. This is the show for June 2016. Now, we way back in episode 24, we did a pick your favorite photographs and talk about them episode. And so I thought we'd do that again because we haven't done that in quite some time. And that means that you're definitely going to want to check out the show notes over at lets-talk.ie where there will be links to all of the photographs we're going to talk about today. So what I've asked the panel to do is to choose a photograph of their own and a photograph from someone else and a spare one just in case we get through these too quickly and we need another picture. Uh, And so we're just going to talk about photographs and each of us will bring on a photograph, talk about it, and then we can all have a chat about it and hopefully it will be interesting and fun. So let's start with one... uh, Oh, actually, let's introduce the panel. How's about we do that? Um, Joining me from the big city of New York, we have Antonio Rosario back. Hi, Antonio. Hi, Bart. How are you doing? I am doing just fine. We had this strange thing happen today. It was like warm and there was this yellow thing in the sky. <laughs> Wonder. Well, we have this we have this strange thing. We have this gray stuff with like dampness falling from the sky, too. Oh, you got our weather. <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. It swapped. I think so because it was like 24 Celsius here, which is nuts. And also joining us from the absolute middle of nowhere, and he's hoping to goodness his internet holds up, we have uh, Mark Polly back with us. Hi, Mark. Hello. Yeah, so apparently we can send pictures from Jupiter, but we can't make phone calls from Northeast <laughs> Washington State. So, yeah, Pluto, I'm, I'm, we got them from Pluto. Yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in a remote area of Northeast Washington where I'm at Twin Lakes where all of my pictures, well, not all of my pictures, a lot of my pictures come from, the, which is the plus side. The downside is we have terrible internet. So if I, uh, if, if I turn robot or if I just fall off the call, everybody will know where I went. So yes. we'll, we'll, give it a, we'll give it a shot. We'll give it a scout's best try. There we go. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. And it's kind of interesting, actually, that you are talking to us from what I, what I would call your favorite muse. Like, th- those Twin Lakes have inspired oh, yeah. so many Absolutely. Cool. Okay. Uh, actually, Mark, since yeah, your internet absolutely. is in danger... And, 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 and I... <laughs> okay. I deduce we yep. have lag. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'll tell you, Mark, when, you're, when, you're, when you catch up with us in this conversation, if you want to go ahead and describe your first image, at least we'll get that much out of you before the internet gods strike. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well. So my, the first image that I shared was... The first image that I shared is uh, called Sunset Perch, and uh, it's pretty self destructive self-describing, but it's uh, one of my favorite places near where I live, which is Kayak Point. And one of the reasons I wanted to share it, first of all, is the story, and that is because it's at Kayak Point. This is a place that I go to um, quite often when I I just want to get out and shoot. It's uh, within about a mile and a half of my house and um, go there very often at sunset, obviously. And there's a pier that sticks out into the water. 
and lots of birds flying around. And I always thought that it might it might be a really interesting picture if the birds would sit on the posts of the pier at sunset, but they never did it for me. Um, but I always kept coming back to the site and, and one day I got this image and the birds not only were sitting on the piers, but they're all silhouetted very nicely and they're all pointing their little beaky faces the right way and um, it just turned out wonderful for me composition wise and and uh, sort of a one of those uh, just keep going back and keep trying people that look at this say oh how did you get them to pose that way and the answer is well I went back about a dozen times and waited for the picture to uh, to, to bring itself to me so that's so that's the first thing that I wanted to share about this picture is that it's it was the result of a lot of perseverance of just going back to the same place and knowing that someday maybe the picture would be there that I that I had in my eye and then of course the second thing about this one is uh, uh, being brave in post-processing, I, I really upped the oranges to, to get the sunset and, and I really increased the shadows to get the silhouettes and not afraid to play around a little bit in post-processing uh, to get an image that I really enjoyed. No, I mean, it was it was a pretty sunset and all, um, but, but I admit to working with it in post-processing to get something that I want. And then the final thing I think is composition-wise, um, really love the way that the lines worked for me here as far as um, the horizontal lines cutting the cutting the picture in, into the, the little layers of color and texture and putting the birds uh, in a line at just above the horizon or just into the sun, sunset area. Um, so, I mean, that's those are the kinds of things that are kind of going through my mind of why this is a special picture to me and why it's one that I like to share. Um, but I'll let you guys comment on it, too. And I, I guess I heard that maybe we have some legs, so we'll see if this works. Yeah, the, the chatting over and back might be a bit difficult because there was about a two-second gap, I think, between us, uh, us speaking <laughs> and us hearing your response. <laughs> but you sound now very clear to me. Okay, yeah, so. and, and it is now, too, so. Yeah. So I like I like hearing that uh, you kept going back uh, to in order to get this picture. Um, I mean that's the first thing that struck me was when you said that I thought that well, you know everybody's a photographer these days <laughs> and what makes uh, what what's the difference between someone who just takes a picture and someone who's a, a photographer who goes out and I think it's that perseverance of of uh, finding something that you want to do and pre-visualizing it and going back and going back and going back to try to get it. And so, you know, to me, that's uh, important. I can tell you that in this picture I'm looking at, it it does strike me as something that um, uh, that you had to go back and do over and over again to get this. Um, but, of course, then there, you know, there could be the, the naysayers out there who's like, well, he just Photoshopped all the birds out <laughs> there. <laughs> but no, you know, it's it's enough to go back uh, time and time again and wait until you can get that shot. Yeah. And you, you mentioned being brave with the post-processing. Um, well, that was the word I used, yes. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it is brave, right? Because I'm sure when it came out of the camera, it looked different. Um, but I think because it's a silhouette, I, I think you can... You can get away with that kind of more heavy-handed approach to processing than you could if it wasn't a silhouette. I think the fact that it's a silhouette makes it possible to go for such a really stunning, warm orange. Right. And I would – I mean, it, 
it's that color, but it, out of the camera, it it was duller. It was flatter. I'm not sure what the what the art term or the photography term is, but it just didn't pop out like that. And that's what I tried to up with yeah. the post processing. I would say the feel of it would be enhanced by doing that. So I, I would have absolutely no argument whatsoever against doing that kind of thing. But I'm sure, well, I guess if you're a photojournalist reporting on the sunset, that would have been a terrible thing to do. <laughs> this would not have been an accurate, this would not be a 100% accurate portrayal of what I was looking at from the shore. No, it would not be. <laughs> yeah, it would probably not make it into National Geographic magazine, but it would make it into the Outdoors magazines or the you know Outdoor Photographers magazines. I think they're, you know... With with what Nat Geo said these days about trying to not have them in, that much processing going on. Um, well, and I don't, you know, I don't know, and, and maybe you can help Antonio. Um, I don't know if there was a way for me to um, do this from the camera, whether yeah, putting, putting a filter on it or changing the uh, manual settings or something. So I think that I think that that's the thing. It was for me. I you know I did the best that I could do when I was out there and then used the the magic of uh, and I don't even actually remember rem- I don't actually remember the tools that I used to get this but I do know that I that I you know bumped up the sunset and turned down and and brought up the shadows a bit to get the silhouette the way I wanted it well let's say that if I was doing this with film um, what I would have done uh, for this kind of shot was to use a film that had a lot of saturation uh, built into the film stock. So say like a Fuji Velvia film. And I might have added a little bit of a magenta filter to the front of the camera. And I certainly would have underexposed the picture a little bit so that the blacks like in the posts um, uh, in this picture would, would start to go black and the silhouettes would start to go black. Because uh, the meter camera meter might give me a different reading. And so I might want to darken a little bit and when you asked if you could do that in the camera i mean my first thought was like well sure you could shoot jpegs you could uh uh, have the camera process it and have it spit out a jpeg i mean you know shoot raw and jpeg and you might have actually had something close to this where you might not have to have done so much post-processing but that's that's all dependent on the camera that you're using and the kind of uh, raw processing that it has so um but i know you're shooting raw so you're coming back and yeah, cause right. in this case, you really, really want that silhouette because yeah. as a jagged sort of along the horizon silhouette, the pine trees are beautiful. As green blobs, they would not have helped this picture. No. Right. And 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 even trying to bring up the shadows on the on the posts or something, I think, would not have helped the picture. I think they needed to be as stark silhouette as I could get them. And yeah. also, you have to be careful about not... Uh, darkening the background too much because you have those trees, um, that mountainscape in the background or whatever it is. And if uh, they were, if it was too dark, you would lose. It would blend in with the posts, uh, and so you you have it dark enough that the posts stand out in the foreground, and that you could still see that the uh, background trees are are silhouetted, but they're not fully silhouetted. They're not fully black. I presume the second the layer above the trees is a layer of cloud, or rather, maybe. <laughs> Yes. Uh, it's clouds, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it works. Whatever but, it is, it works. Because there's, yeah, there's lots so, of layering yeah. going on. Yeah, the trees that are out there is there's a little bit of an island that or a peninsula kind of thing that sticks out, and then there's a layer of clouds and, and the sun and so forth, yeah. yeah. 
as I say, I mean, I, I do like how perfect the birds are. And as you say, the only way to do that, short of, I guess, stuffing them and placing them there <laughs> yourself, is patience. Well, and the, and the other kind of funny comment about that is that I this is actually one of a series of photos, and I have a I have a bunch of photos before and a bunch of photos after, and you know the birds are turning the wrong way or poking their head in their wing or doing whatever, and all of those photos got barred, and this one got saved. <laughs> and that is the so, key, right? Distill yeah, distill the raw material into the the gems. Throw the yep, rest exactly, away. exactly. They are so perfect. anyway, this is yeah. yeah this is one, this is one that I really like, and I've printed it big on canvas and shown it at a few shows, and always get lots of nice always get lots of nice comments. Uh, so I, I enjoy it, and it's a, it's a fun picture to talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm yeah, very fond of it. Yeah, it it looks very filmic to me. So that's why when when you asked me if there was a way to do it, and I thought, well, you know, like shooting this, it looks like it was shot on film. There's something about right. it. I don't know. There's there's a quality to it. I mean, I'm looking at a thumbnail and I've blown it up to large size, um, but it looks like something that was shot on slide film to me. So, I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. There's mine. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mark. That, that was uh, a very fun photo. So, a reminder again: let's-talk.ie. You can have a look at this beautiful picture from Mark and see what you think for yourself. Antonio, do you want to go second with a picture of your own? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. It um, isn't so cheerful. Or... No. <laughs> it, it is not the beauty of nature writ large. No, it's not. It's, um, it's actually a picture I took recently uh, in front of my building. And uh, I'll just describe it so that people who are listening... Um, can sort of get a feel for it. Uh, there's a man sitting on a bench, and uh, it's a sort of a front-facing shot. And his head is down. He's he's holding a, I believe it's a Coors Light beer in his hand. Um, you can't see his face, but you can see his nose. Uh, he's got a cane next to him. He's certainly a down-and-out uh, person. Yeah. And uh, there's a big shadow. Um, in front of him. So it's uh, part of his body is lit by sun and then there's a shadow and the shadow is of me. Uh, when I was walking in front of this gentleman, uh, uh, taking his picture, um, sort of sneaking, you know, doing my sneak street photography shot. And I've been, uh, I, I've been listening, I've been sort of li- living with this photograph for a little while. Um, I mean, looking at it since I took it, I think it was last week. And I realize it's one of the saddest pictures I think I've ever taken. Uh, yeah, in, it, in, a, sad, in a long time. But it's not monochrome. It's very colorful, actually. It's color. I, I chose to leave it in color um, because of the, the the color of his clothing and just the palette, the overall palette. It's early in the morning. I'm, I'm actually on my way for coffee. And um, there's a, the backstory a little bit to this gentleman is he he's on the street a lot and. Um, it was actually one time when he asked for my help uh, because he was having some trouble, and I called the ambulance and stood with him for a while. Um, I think he's he's got some um, uh, mental problems, hmm. and I think he might be homeless. And one of the things about what I do when I shoot street photography is I've sort of said – I might have even said this on the show. I, I don't tend to photograph homeless people. Uh, I, I generally do not because I find that these people are on the street, and that's kind of their home. 
And it, to me, it feels like a more of an invasion of privacy. And for some reason, this morning, that morning when I took the picture, I, I sort of let that go for a second just because I saw his pose. And you, and you really can't see his face. Yeah, I mean, he he's not recognizable unless you really know him. Right. It doesn't seem exploitative, but it does... It is. It is a very sad photograph. When but here's at. here's the part that really gets to me is that it's my shadow covering the sun, and I had I had a couple of shots that I had taken when I walked by, and there was you know some just before I walked in front of him, just some after. So he was lit by the sunlight. But this one with the shadow of me in front of it had had a lot of had a lot of deep meaning, um, especially. Since I'm doing this street photography now and I'm taking pictures of people, uh, and you know, and I sort of do it in a you know, uh, the, the sneaky way, if you know, uh, if one could call it that, unobtrusive, and maybe unobtrusive, you know, nobody, you know, people don't know necessarily that I'm taking their picture, and there's a school of thought that people think that's sneaky and not fair, and there's a whole school of thought of people saying, like, uh, it's okay, because what I, like, the reason why I like doing it is I like to get people in their natural settings, and yeah, not... It's honest. Oh, it's not... It's honest, not, yeah. It's sneaky, it's honest. Exactly, but there's, there's uh, people on both sides of the issue, uh, it's with street photography, but again, the thing that really got me was my shadow in this, um, covering him up. And it held some, it's, it's holding some sort of meaning for me. I'm, I'm still working on it. <laughs> I'm still thinking about what it means to me um, that I'm taking this picture of this guy who's down and out. I know who he is. He's a local guy. Uh, and yet I'm covering his sunlight. I'm, for that moment, I'm. You know, I'm part of this picture, by the way. Like, I've I've had some part of the creation of this picture. I'm in this picture with this gentleman. Yeah. So, anyway, it's um, it may not be my best picture. I like it. I think it technically it looks good. It's but it has a lot of meaning, and uh, I'm still trying to work that out. <laughs> what I really like about it is that no, there is no there is no chapter of the book in photo school. That says that the absolute best thing you could possibly do is have a shadow of yourself front and center in the picture, perfectly centered. Like, that is not by the book. That is, like, against the book. Every, every book says you shouldn't do this. And yet, it works. It's a, it is a powerful photograph, even though it completely smashes the rules. And maybe even because it completely smashes the rules. I think, I think an interesting, for me since the first time I saw it was just now. Um, <laughs> at, you know, the, when I first saw it, and it was obviously recognizable as, you know, what the subject, I think the the obvious, you know, uh, person, uh, he looks down and out, he's holding a beer, he, the, the cane is there and so forth. So that's, you know, that's the first thing that strikes you and it's really obvious. And then as you start to look at it as, at a, as a photograph, you see this shadow that's lingering right on him that gives sort of this meaning to how depressed he is or how down he is. There's this shadow on him, you know, the whole concept of of a shadow, you know, you in the cartoons, right, you see the 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 person who's having really bad luck or is has a lot of misfortune the cloud comes mm -hmm. over them and and puts casts a shadow just on them but it's sunny everywhere else so it's sort of to me it sort of had mm. 
the shadow on him sort of had that message, this sort of gloominess of his own shadow. But then as you look at it even more and you think about it, wait a minute, that's the photographer's shadow. Because, um, you know, that was the thing that struck me. It was, oh, that's that's Antonio's shadow right on this guy. And it also sort of it to another level for me is how the homeless people or the we just walk by these people and they are in our shadows if we are rushing off to a meeting or going out to dinner or walking through town or we're uh, off to work or whatever he's sitting here this is this is his life this is his home but we're just going by and not just this guy but the homeless people that we that we pass through or the, or the down and out that we pass through they're just they just live in our shadows and here you've captured that literally with your shadow mm-hmm. and you're, you're, you're doing your job, which is taking pictures. And this guy is literally in your shadow. So I think it kind of, it really goes down to me. I, I don't know if that's what you're shooting for. I don't want to be overly philosophical, but as I looked at the picture, those were the feelings and the thoughts that, um, that I got, took from it. I, I think it's really remarkable. Thanks. It's, it, it's interesting. Cause I didn't, see this initially when I was like I wasn't thinking about it when I walked by him um, often in that early in the morning and I haven't had my coffee I'm not thinking quite right I'm not thinking straight <laughs> so you know it all sort of emerged afterwards as I was culling through the pictures and saying well let me see what I want to what I want to post and then this one popped out and I did a little processing to the picture uh, to own up to my part of it like you uh, Mark I said, "I have a question, Antonio. Yeah. So the, the the picture as you presented, as you, as you share it on Flickr, is a square crop. Yeah, was it shot square, or was that a conscious decision by you in in post processing to to do that? Um, it's conscious of me. I crop to square. Okay, um, and is that because of Instagram, or or is it because you thought that was a better picture? Partially, partially because of Instagram. Although Instagram these days, you can do." Um, horizontal formats um so it's not mainly from that but i've i've become um as i started doing more street portraits of people i I start finding that a square format in general fits what i kind of want to say about them and it, it it focuses the attention a little bit more on the person and less on the environment and so out of my natural tendency is to, to look for a square crop because I really want to eliminate what's on the left and the right of the picture. Uh, in fact, if I could, I think my camera could shoot a square um, uh, square format built in, but um, I tend to let my camera not do that because the way I'm shooting, I might miss an angle a little bit. And so if I have the wide, the wider frame, I can, you know, skew the crop left or right uh, and still get a, and still get a square crop on it. Um, but, um, I, I, am most often aiming for a square. I mean, that's my, my, in my mind, what, a, what a portrait is going to look like. Uh, and so it comes from the days from when I used to have a square medium format camera, uh, and would shoot with that. And there's something about the square format that I'm, that I'm liking these days. So. That's sort of a long answer. <laughs> well, no, it sort of makes me think when you're saying it's a good format for portraits in, st- in a street setting. It's sort of like putting the person in the center of their world by, by yeah. putting them in the middle of a square crop. Yeah. I mean, I'm not always putting the person in the middle, but this one 
uh, in this case worked. And, you know, I started noticing that the shadows at the bottom of the uh, there's a railing uh, in, in front of him. And those are creating sort of this like um, diagonal lines and stuff like that. And I think it just works so much better on the in the square. Uh, it, it just makes him and these leading lines a little bit more important. Yeah, and I, I so. wouldn't want to see the edge of that bench because those horizontal lines that don't stop. Right. They they are way better than if they ended. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I again, I usually go back and forth between black and white and color, and I thought this one needed to be color. Uh, there was just some, I don't know, I think black and white would have been too distracting <laughs> in some way. I think uh, you'd lose. In abstract. I think you'd lose too much of the uh, the depth if you did that and, and the importance of your shadow. But I think the other thing that struck me about this photo and, and maybe wouldn't work without the color is that keen. I think that's – it adds to uh, the sorrow or the, the, the negative feelings that mm-hmm. are powerful here. And the struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Also, because it's very, there's a, it's it's not a black and white image; it's a black and color image. Because black is still the overpowering tone, but you get the juxtaposition of the very deep shadows with the warm morning light. And if you black and white had that, that right. would vanish. It would vanish. Yeah, it's always tricky trying to figure out uh, whether or not to process a picture in color and black and white. But uh, I think in this case, it really worked. So, hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think it does, and it's. The longer I'm looking at it, the more I'm liking it. And, you know, the more I know it breaks every rule, the more I love it. Because <laughs> I'm a big believer there's it, no rules, just guidelines. <laughs> They're not rules. I think it says something about a picture when you can you can look at it and find something new. I don't know how many minutes we've been talking about this picture, but all three of us have been able to uh, find a lot in it in all this time and instead of saying oh yeah that's a pretty good picture and then let's move on <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's, it, there's there's really a lot going on here and i think it's yeah. really neat and you know again it it has it it uh has some meaning to me too so it's it's part of this question about being a street photographer and what am i doing and uh at, at what cost is is this uh coming so it's a, it's an open question. Yeah. Well, th- okay. thanks, Antonio. Um, Thank you. So the third picture we look at is my one by me, um, which is a nighttime shot. Um, so very much the opposite of, your, of yours, Antonio. Um, so it's taken in the su- a summer night. So it, in Ireland, we're actually far enough north that. It, the sun never goes far enough below the horizon, even in the middle of the night, for there not to be sort of a, gl- a pre-dawn glow on the northern horizon. So this shot is looking north, and it looks like the sun is about to come up, because that's just Ireland in summer. Um, then the Big Dipper is very clearly visible, sort of taking the top half of the picture to itself. And in fact, if you're familiar with the fact that the Big Dipper is part of a constellation known as the Big Bear, you can actually trace his hind legs and his forelegs going to his paws, which are two sets of close-together stars that punctuate his feet, and his face is in a bush. So it's like he's eating from the tree. <laughs> um, and so silhouetted to the, top, to the top right is a tree, and silhouetted along the bottom is the top of a hill. 
And then poking out of the top of that hill are two things. There is a tower, which is it's something known as a folly. So it was built for the purpose of looking pretty and served no function other than simply looking pretty. So the, the, this landscape is entirely artificial. It's part of um, Carton House, which was built by the Anglo-Irish aristocracy. And the function of that tower was to stand at the end of a view and look good. And then the other thing silhouetted against the horizon is a friend of mine who has his tripod set up and is taking a view of the tower looking east instead of looking, no, west, looking west instead of looking north. And he was polite enough not to move too much in my 45 second exposure to make himself completely invisible, which I very much appreciate of him doing. Um, so, yeah, so basically that's that's what, that's what you have there. I guess that's described it in... Uh, in what it looks like. And again, this was one of a, a whole bunch of pictures I took that night. And I have the same shot without Kieran in it. And I didn't like it nearly as much. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not many pixels tall, I I really do think he adds to it, which is why I titled the photograph uh, Photographing um, Trichonal Terror at Night. Because I, I think even though he's tiny pixel-wise, I think he says a lot into the photograph by, by his silhouette being there with his tripod set up and his camera, you know, in action. So, um, what, what else do I want to say about it? Um, I, I kind of like the fact that the sky has a, a hint of bluey purple in it and that we still have the sort of the, the, the not sunset, even though we're looking north, to sort of divide land and sky. I, I kind of like that look because otherwise, obviously, the tree couldn't silhouette. Um, and then I really wanted silhouettes. This is a long exposure, did you say? 45 seconds? I'm just slightly going by memory here, but it's it's at yeah. least 30 and it's less than a minute. 44.8 seconds. There we go. And I was I would have been using a stopwatch <laughs> because my camera can only go to 30 seconds. So I would have gone click. 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000. I'm not sure how that would have worked. I don't know how that would have gotten recorded in the XF data, but I guess I somehow did. It, it did, yeah. Actually, no, I used it, I think at that night I was using something called Trigger Trap, which is a thing that you plug your iPhone into your camera, uh-huh. and the iPhone triggers the bulb mode, counts down to as long as you tell it to count down, and then triggers again. So it opens, mm. waits, closes. So I, I guess I dialed in 45 seconds, and Trigger Trap is 0.6 of a second off. But we'll forgive it that. Yeah. Well, I my my first thought is to agree with you completely that if uh, I just put my thumb over your friend there mm-hmm. and if he was not in the picture, it does not, it, it, I don't know. It loses, it actually loses a lot and it's hard yeah. to describe. It's it, the tree on the right part of the frame no longer is a tree when he's not there. To me, it's a big lump of something. It's an uh, intrusion. It, it, it's something. It's, invading. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, but for some reason, with uh, your friend there, the little human presence, and it's so funny because it's it's not an exact human shape, but no, it is. He did move a bit. Yeah, it did move a bit. But you know, you know, there's something about the way we're wired to look for that shape. You know that it's a human being, and remove that human being from the picture, and yeah, well, um, then you could not have the tree there. Uh, yeah. I think the tree would not be useful that was shot at 10 millimeters which is the widest lens i have um, mm-hmm. and the reason i do that is because it allows me to capture constellations so i really wanted the big dipper over the tower that that was what that was my goal for the night and i, I did it from all sorts of different angles 
And that tree, there was no earthly way I could get its trunk into frame and still have the tower in a reasonable place. Because at 10 millimetres, if I put the tower any closer to the left of the frame, it becomes very not tower-shaped. Right. Um, and so I was like, okay, I cannot get a tree trunk, which means this is probably going to look awful. And then Kieran was standing there and I was like, ah, you'll do. <laughs> Because I don't like having trees that aren't connected to the ground. I, I don't, something about my brain says that a bit of tree should be connected to the ground if it's so mm. big. A branch is one thing, but that's not a branch. That's that's most of an oak tree. So I hadn't really thought of it until Antonio said it. But for me, the tree, I really love the tree. Uh, I love the way that it's that it's in this picture and the silhouette and, and you're right if you cover him it doesn't look like a tree anymore it's it it really is he really is necessary to ground that so that's i hadn't even thought of that and i to be honest uh bart when you said you needed him in there and it wasn't as a strong picture i was thinking oh i don't know it's it seems like it's such an he's such an insignificant part of the picture that and in fact i didn't when i first looked at it didn't realize it was a person and then i looked at it closer and saw the tripod so uh you know it it took my eyes a long time to to pick that out so i was thinking well he can't possibly be that important to the picture but i think it really does ground the it really does ground the tree that being said my other reaction was as with a lot of your astronomy type photograph i just i marvel at how you're mm-hmm. able to do that i just i i've I can't say that I've tried hard, so I, you know, I, I think if I were if I worked as hard at it as it as you do, um, maybe I'd be able to do it. But I've never been able to, and I always just marvel at how how nice these pictures come out. With you've got the constellation, and, and I know that, and, and I and I don't know that you want to give us another lesson on tone mapping because that was uh, we, we did that. <laughs> you know, a couple of months ago, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of tone mapping going on here, but it's just remarkable to me how sharp we get the, uh, the stars and we still have just enough light on the, uh, the tower. And if I'm looking at it correctly, it looks like the tree's not completely in silhouette. It looks right. like there's some color coming out of it. So you, so it's not just a black blob, but there is some, some color and texture, uh, to contrast there too. So I, for me, and and this is probably well, I'm sure it is a lot to how you exposed it and what you did, but also to your processing. But I just love uh, how we're getting so much color and so well. I don't want to say color, but so much exposure on things just the right amount, so that we can kind of get a good picture of everything that's in it. I I really like how balanced it is in that sense. Yeah, and I think that. Um, unlike your picture, Mark, uh, here, if everything was silhouetted, I don't think it would work. Yeah. So the amount of – there is detail in the foreground on the ground itself. So the ground itself has got some presence. Mm-hmm. Um, the tree has got presence. It's not just this shape. And the tower, the fo- folly, is that what you call yeah, it? Yeah, it's a, yeah, folly. So basically – Right. You can see that one side of the, the – the right side of the tower is lit a little lighter than the – than the left side of the tower. So you get some dimension and you get a sense of perspective on the way the building is positioned. And if it was silhouetted, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have that. So oh, right. it would just it be a blob. A, it would just be a blob. It'd be a square blob, but you wouldn't have any sense of direction. And um, so a silhouette would not work here at all. But what I'm 
kind of blown away by is this, it, first of all, the sky, the fact that the sun doesn't go down completely. Yeah, we are, you know, we're, we're, we're at almost exactly 54 degrees north here. Yeah. Um, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, it's I don't weird. know what else to say. It's just it's a, it's a very lucky thing to have, like, access to. Uh, and uh, I don't know. There's something about being able to get, like, what looks like a sunset or a sunrise. Permanently. And, well, permanently yeah. for a few hours. <laughs> Is it like that for the whole night and yeah. then the sun yeah, so comes the sun out? goes down and it never seems to quite finish. And then the sunset moves around the north and then it moves around to the east and then it comes up again. Yeah. Okay. It used to freak me out as a kid, actually, because you'd wake up at, at you know, one in the morning and it wouldn't be night. <laughs> and that, as a child, I remember I've always found that very freaky. But as an adult, actually, it's really quite pleasing because now in this case, it didn't happen. But what can happen is so those clouds on the horizon, if there's something high up in the atmosphere, it will actually be sunlit. Oh. And so there exists something oh. called noctilucent clouds. They're really high up in our atmosphere and no one has any record of them existing before the industrial revolution so they're probably pollution but they are little delicate filaments and if they had been there that night they would have come out in this photograph because that sort of blue line the sort of the the whitey blue line between the orange and the deep blue is where they live and if they had been there they would be there and that's only possible in places where you have this it's dark but only just. Oh. Did Bart, did you pre-visualize this shot before you came out? Or was this just something you found and like set up? 50-50. So mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted the tower and I wanted the plow. Uh, so the Big Dipper, as you'd call it. So that much was predetermined. And then the quest. So I tried a vertical aspect ratio first. So then it was literally the tower and the Big Dipper. And the Big Dipper was very recognisable and the tower was very recognisable and it didn't have any oomph. It mm. didn't, it was flat. And so then I started trying a landscape and sort of moving in a semicircular, so walking in the long grass, and I think I almost lost my camera, but I managed to find it again. <laughs> um, sort of working in a big arc through the, it's actually a golf course. I was <laughs> walking around the golf course trying to find something to put onto the right side of the image to balance it. And I just kept walking until the silhouette looked pretty and then set up the camera and fired for 45 seconds. And the real key to all of this is the really wide lens. That's what mm. makes this possible. So because of the wide lens shrinks the sky, you can do a 45-second exposure without any guiding. Right? There is, that is just a static tripod, and the stars stay pin sharp even at 45 seconds. And so that's the secret. 45 seconds... Like, my lens only goes to f4, which sounds terrible for astronomy. But 45 seconds? Right. <laughs> you, you gather a lot of light. And so there's actually very little post-processing done because the light on that tower is purely from that glow on the horizon and stuff. It is just the fact that it is not actually fully dark. And the only thing I did do was pull out of the, the, the dark part of the sky the shade of orange that is light pollution because we're too close to Dublin. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled out... So I have... I have a swatch of light pollution color, which I put an eyedropper on in a different photograph and then paste in the uh, adjustment to remove that color onto every one of my night photographs. It is the color of sodium. And I just pull that <laughs> color out and leave all the other colors there. And then the sky becomes 
like it looked to the human eye because the human eye well, doesn't see that uh, that orange glow because it's night. So, so the yellow glow. So basically, that sky came out of, in the original before I processed it. That sky was an ugly um, sodium yellow. Mm. And so all I did was pull out the sodium yellow, and then the oranges and the blues—they were all there. They just were hidden by this sodium yellow. <laughs> so it's the the fact that it's a wide-angle lens means that the movement of the stars is explained. Okay, so. If you have a perfectly neutral lens, then everything that moves in the foreground and the background sort of moves at a constant rate. But when you zoom out to a wide-angle lens, motion in the distance is shrunk and motion in the foreground is magnified. Oh, okay. And since there is no motion in the foreground, really. Okay. Yeah. So there's nothing. In the, like, the foreground is... I'm a lot closer to that tower than you think. Because it's such oh, a yeah. wide-angle lens. Right. Yeah. right. Um but it has the effect, because the sky is at infinity, it really slows it down. So if you try that with a 50mm lens, you might get 25 seconds, which is enough. Does it make any difference that you're pointed north than if you were pointed east or west? Yes, yeah. because all the stars move around the pole star. So you find the pole star by extending the top of the Big Dipper out five times its length, which means that the pole star in this case is a little bit off shot, sort of on the one-third from the right line, sort of up a little bit out of the picture which means that the sky moves at its slowest nearest the two poles so the north pole and the south pole and at its fastest nearest the celestial horizon so the hardest constellations to photograph are the ones around that neck of the woods so that is unfortunately Orion which is one of the prettiest mm-hmm. constellations but it moves faster but with a wide angle lens you're still going to get away with 30-35 seconds even on those fast moving stars what you might get is if you zoom into 100% they become little potatoes <laughs> right, and obviously, if you go longer than that, they, the potatoes become lines. Right. Well, you can get away with thirty-five seconds, even for the the far southern constellations. So. The other thing I was going to say about the tree and mm-hmm. the human being, I think Mark, you you reminded me of this or something uh, you said, but um, it might. I wonder if it's in our human. I don't know. There's something about the human being being covered by the tree. Like sheltered, maybe sheltered by the tree, and when there's no, hu- I mean, that's to me the connection is that he's being sheltered by this tree, and so it's not a blob. It, even though it kind of is a blob in some way, if you, yeah. you know, if you just look at it on its own, it's a, it's a blob. But the part of us that, you know, is primal, <laughs> yeah, to me thinks that it's it's a sheltering um, object, and. Also, I wanted to add that the human being is very, I think, very important because it adds a, a sense of scale. Even yeah. though I know the scale is all distorted because it's a wide lens, it still adds scale. Right, because and, the difference between a, a mighty oak and a stupid branch is scale. Right. <laughs> and as I'm saying that, I'm realizing the scale of the tree dwarfs this tower. It dwarfs the human being. It dwarfs the tower. Even the tower is surrounded by trees. And you've got trees on the left, mm-hmm. uh, and we have stars, and there's so much nature. And the, the elements that are human are very small in the picture. Yes. So the lights in the background, the, the city or the town, the tower, and the human being are dwarfed by the sky and by this tree. And so nature is still overpowering, which is and, – and, and the ground as well. So that was just me thinking this out as I'm, 
as I'm looking at it. I, I like actually when I'm doing astronomy stuff to have this to have the sky win, <laughs> to have to have the sky trump the little things humans make. Nicely done. I like this. I think it works. Oh, cheers. Okay, so let's move on to pictures we didn't take. Um, Mark, if you're still with us, if your internet is I'm, still functioning, I'm here. I'm, I'm still here. here. Good, 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 good. <laughs> uh, so I gave you. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I gave you a link to a uh, person that I follow on Flickr. I don't know this person, um, and I probably don't even know how to pronounce the name. It looks like it's a Taiwanese name, Shung Fu Day. But I, I don't know if that's right. Does anybody want to take a stab looks, at it? That looks pretty good to me. Better than I and, and, and and the title of it is Sunrise, and it looks like it's uh, at Sun Moon Lake in Taiwan. Um, I don't know anything about any of those facts. It's just an image that when I saw it, I favorited it. And and uh, to prepare for this show, I wanted I went back through my favorites. And what would I like to talk about? Well, I, this one just really strikes me, and I think partially because it. Um, it speaks to the kind of photography that I do as far as nature and mountains and lakes and so forth. And, and I am a sucker for reflections. I like to do it and I, and I like people that do it. So the, so the first thing about this picture that, that got me was the, uh, the putting the, putting basically the, uh, the, where the, the break of the reflection, the edge of the water. So you've got the mountains going up into the sky and the reflection going down and, and right about half, that's about halfway at the, uh, halfway in the uh, frame. And I think maybe people would say that, that typically you wouldn't center a photo that way, but when you're doing a reflection uh, like that, it's always a good idea to do it. It gives you a really good effect. But then this photographer added to that with his composition him i don't know if it's him her uh this pier with the boats and the lamps because so so had it just been the mountain reflection in the water that would have been a nice picture but then you add this these amazing lines with the uh, red the red lanterns going off diagonally but actually if you look at it closely they're on the horizon line or they're on the water line um, and all these leading lines going in um, it to me it just it was just a really amazing uh, combination of um, really I think really well exposed and and color and so forth is perfect but all this composition and these lines converging like that is just it really grabbed me what I love, actually, so because those red lanterns are a natural, not overblown color of red, you believe the beautiful sky colors so much more because you know they haven't been artificially uh-huh. invented or those uh-huh. red lamps would look stupid. And they don't. They look natural and perfect. So that makes the whole scene feel natural and very, very serene. There's a real sense of peace and tranquility about this photograph. It's, it, I think you might call it zen. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And and uh, the major leading lines of the pier uh, and the lamps are going off into the distance. If you follow them, there's a little boat on the horizon. Yeah, it's right. Teeny tiny, you know, one man craft or one person craft. It might even be um, the same as the ones tied up in the. Yeah, in the foreground. I mean, that's there's the link, and 
you know, there's um, the boats themselves actually bring and the lamps bring a bit of, you know, humanness to this picture. But that boat, you know, is we know that it's out there with somebody on it. Hmm. And so it does the, sort of the same thing bar that your picture did is like this a, a sense of scale. And um, I don't know, maybe some connection with what's going on in the picture. It's not just this uh, landscape. And I think, um, Mark, what you're saying, I think if the pier wasn't there, it, it would be a nice picture, but it wouldn't quite be the same. Oh, uh, yeah. Something about these – and these little points of red too. I mean the red is sort of mimicked a little bit in the pier. There's a like an orange or red line on it. And the, Antonio, the palette – if the boats weren't there. Even if the pier was there right. and the boats were just gone, that would be enough to not make it so inviting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's one of those where every element in this picture is necessary to make this picture work. And and I, I want to give this – I want to say that the photographer did this and then it wasn't an accident and, and was thinking about it. But the way the composition is set up, like you – for me, what was striking was that the red lanterns were right about at the edge of the water and, and the way the leading lines go. But then you pointed out, and I hadn't really thought about it till you said it, Antonio, the fact that those leading lines take us to that little boat in the distance. I mean, just every element of composition uh-huh. here is lined up so well to make this picture work. And, and I think, uh, Bart, you're right. Every element, like if the boats weren't there, I think that pier wouldn't be as much and i think probably it is because what uh, what antonio says it brings humanity in here we know that people use those boats so but every element is ev- is necessary and every bit of composition it makes this work the other thing i'm noticing it's just striking how much geometry is in the pictures there's these right. circles there are these um parallelograms there are these little triangles there's these little things near the post that are triangular shapes and so there's a lot of primary shapes in the foreground and then they're contrasted by this mountain this natural scape in the background um and there there's there's something playing back and forth between the foreground and the background that goes from you know nature to humans nature to humans yeah, um, it's well ordered and then it's natural right yeah and but the two coexist Peace in harmony in this case yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, the other thing that strikes me is that so you have the main thrust of the lines, which are very much diagonal uh, right to left. But you also have very sharply picked out metal strips on that pier, perpendicular to the main thrust. I, I, without those there, I don't think it would work as mm. well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. There's a lot going, yeah, a lot, a lot going on. And I, I really do like the the contrast between the very textbook shapes in the foreground lines triangles circles squares i mean even the boats have very square canopies and very triangular prows yeah yeah very nice okay so that link will also be in the show notes at lessestalk.ie um antonio what have you brought for us from your travels into photography (laughs) so the uh it's kind of the opposite of the picture that i presented but it is very simply probably one of the most expensive photographs ever taken in the okay. world. <laughs> um, it is a portrait of Neil Armstrong in the lunar excursion module uh, after uh, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong had their first walk on the moon. Oh. And uh, let me just bring the picture up because I just 
lost it here. Well, so that extra, that, that, that extra context, I mean, I, I think it's a beautiful picture without that context, but the extra context that this is on the moon after they've done the, that historic one small step for man stuff. Right. So let me describe the shot. It's, uh, it's a, again, it's a square format. <clears throat> uh, Neil is pretty much center. His face is centered. He's looking directly at the camera or probably close enough to the camera that looks like he's looking directly at it. He's got a nice little smile. He's got his uh, Snoopy ears on, those little <laughs> the little helmet thing that they wear with the with the microphone on. It makes it look like Snoopy. He's got a pretty nice smile on his face, and his eyes are open, and his eyebrows are up, and he his eyes are tearing. And um, it, it's dimly lit. Uh, in fact, the picture, there's two versions of this picture. I think someone posted a, a one that was a little bit less saturated and processed and shows some detail of the flight suit that he's wearing. And there's the switches in the background that are lit up, and there's a window above him. Uh, it, it very much a sense of technology in place. And there's this, there's some instruction sheet that's um, duct taped up to the wall in the background. <laughs> but what strikes me about it is his face and his, te- and his teary eyes and knowing the context of the picture that these two guys just walked on another planet, essentially. And there's no other emotions there's there's almost nothing that could be said except for what is seen in in neil's eyes um about the experience that they just had and i'm sure if the camera was reversed buzz would have the same expression on his face Uh, in this case buzz had the camera and he took the picture of of uh neil and it's simply done you know, it's, it looks like it's lit by whatever is inside the lunar module, whether it's some light coming in from the moon and some light panels. It, it's one of the most simple pictures um, I've ever seen. And uh, it, there's so much behind this picture, you know, uh, and especially knowing that these guys just came in from their first uh, little walk, their first walk. I don't know if they did more than one walk. I can't remember. They, they, they did. were a while, weren't they? Yeah, I just don't remember I, if they went I out believe, once or twice. I believe they were out more than once, but I don't yeah. know for sure. But this is this is after the first one, and just the expression in his face is, um, I mean, I almost because it's a NASA print in which uh, NASA photograph, which means we all sort of have access to this. You could probably download the original from uh, from NASA and print it. I think it would make, make a beautiful print. Yeah. Um, but there, there's just something about the simplicity of it. And, of course, it's simple. <laughs> and, and I wasn't kidding. It's got to be the most expensive photograph ever taken. Well, yeah. First you've got to go to the moon. <laughs> then you get to take this photograph. Yeah. <laughs> then you got to get back. Right. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, yeah, because they couldn't send it digitally back then. That was no digital camera. That right. was film right. in there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in, in juxtaposing with the picture I showed before of mine, there's, there's, some, there's something um, – I think the two of them go together in some way. The the achievements and not the failures of man, because I don't want to. I, no, I don't want to be respectful of that of that gentleman on the street. But the failure, in a sense of the the fact that we we still have people who, um, who are, who are down and out and walk the streets and have no home, and and yet on one hand we can have that, and on the other hand we can have this, where we've sent a human being to another planet. We've achieved so much. Um, so I, I, I purposely picked this picture as sort of a contrast to the other picture as well. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that strikes me about it is the contrast between the very white 
very clinical light from coming in through the window from the moon and the very homely red tones of the interior of their little their little Eden up there mm-hmm. in the evil hostile environment it's a very it almost looks like a fireside chat it's that whatever that color of ready orange is it's, it's exceptionally homely and friendly feeling mm-hmm. and yet they are on a spectacularly hostile place so that's interesting yeah and I didn't know that. I, I think Bart, you kind of you said this earlier, but I'll, I'll add to it because it it struck me as well. Without I didn't know the context. I didn't realize what this um, picture was, and in fact, I didn't even necessarily recognize it as Neil Armstrong, but recognized it as an astronaut. But you still, there was just something about the emotion in his face, the expression and the emotion of that expression um, of his face. It, and um, that was really strongly conveyed in the photo. And I think, I, I don't think Buzz Aldrin obviously was not thinking in terms of being a photographer here necessarily. The elements just worked for him. But the way that, the way that it's lit, the warmth of that, as Bart described, the warmth of the color, but just his expression is just so perfect. Um, it's just such a great portrait picture. Yeah. And then when, and then when you add the con, I mean, you can see uh, before you jump to the context, I guess I'm looking at it and I just see a lot of pride in this person's face. Um, but then you add the context and, and really look deep into his eyes and, and it, it is kind of an overwhelming picture at that point, the emotion that's being conveyed here when you know the context. I almost get the sense that it was this quiet moment. And and uh, Neil just turns around and looks at Buzz, and in his brain he's saying like, "Holy crap! Look <laughs> at where we are," you know, and 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 they have this quiet moment between the two of them, and and Buzz takes the shot. And it's not and, posed. It's, he's not smiling no, at the camera. Not at all. He, it is tap tap on the shoulder. Huh? Right. <laughs> Well, and and you said, holy cow, look at where we are. But the other emotion that I think that's probably there is um, imagine some project that you've worked on where you've just, you know, at breakneck speed, just pressure and time, just all the – everything that you've had to do to prepare to be there and and then to get the success and then just to, you know, take the second to go, wow, we did it. Right. Look, we're here. We did it. All that work, and you know, people thought we couldn't do it. And uh, I, it's that element too. I think just wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, it's funny in that in that minute that Buzz took the picture, and he's saying he's not a photographer, and it's like, well, you know, but he got all the elements right. You know, it's oh, like, I... <laughs> I mean, he's not a photographer. He's an astronaut. Yeah. I mean, but they are, you know, they're trained to use all this stuff, and and actually, photography was a very very important part of that trip. Yeah. I mean, um, they had the cameras. I actually have a lot of respect for them as photographers because they had their cameras bolted onto the chest plate of their spacesuit without the ability to look through it. And they managed to take some pretty darn impressive photographs. Right. Yeah. To be clear, I wasn't – didn't want to impugn no, no. His, his ability as a photographer. I wasn't saying I, yeah. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, it's that, a great you know, picture. I mean, astronauts at, at, at that time period and probably still today, I mean, they're jack of all trades. They, there's so many things that they need to learn to do. Be geologists, be, you know, fly at unusual aircraft, take pictures, you know, uh, whatever. They have to do all this stuff. Um, but – 
I don't know. It's, there's there's some aspect of this. Like I resonate with Buzz at the moment. Like that, you know. I wish I took that picture. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's very human. It's it's a very yeah. human picture. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, what I find very interesting, so the, the link that will be in the show notes is a, a fairly large gallery on the NASA website of Apollo 11. And there's lots, like, it, it, the scroll bar is quite small on this page. And when you scroll to it, it's pictures of the lunar lander and it's pictures of the Apollo 5, sorry, the Saturn 5 blasting off, which is awe-inspiring. But the picture NASA chose to put as the headline picture for the page is this very human shot of uh, of Neil. Good for them. I'm glad they did that. Yeah. It is the most powerful picture of all of them. I'll scroll to the rest of the page here just to see what else is here. And there, there, I mean, some of the shots, the shot where you see the top of the rocket looking down as the arm mm-hmm. is swinging away and the thing is mm-hmm. launching. I mean, that's an impressive photo. But it doesn't actually catch your heart in the way that the top one does. It's not, I say, I'm really happy that NASA chose to put that one at the top of the page. Yeah, someone someone made a very good choice. Yeah, someone in there with. And Although, sorry, it, there's one what? here of the rocket breaking the sound barrier with that little halo cloud <laughs> coming pretty... out of it right next to an American flag. That's bloody good work. <laughs> oh, and I, what I really dig about this picture with Neil is just that um, whatever that instruction sheet is, and you can tell that it's, it's you know, uh, duct tape up to the wall back there. Yeah. Um, it's like, don't flip this switch, flip this switch, don't touch this one. Yeah. <laughs> You always think, like, how do they remember all those switches they had to flip? Well, they take a thing and they duct tape it to the walls. Yeah. Something very practical about that. I don't know. It feels like a, I wonder how Alice and uh, Sheridan would look at this picture. It feels like an engineering kind of thing. So It's a good practical engineering solution, right? <laughs> Stick yeah. instructions over the buttons. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, that's right. laughs> Hang it up on the wall. Yeah. So anyway, that was my second picture. No, it's very good. It's a, it's a very powerful picture. I can see why it would speak to you. Yeah. Okay, so that just leaves little old me then to uh, pick a picture of mine, and it will probably come as a surprise to absolutely no one that I'm going to throw a railway f- photograph into this conversation because we haven't had any yet, and that's just not like me. So this picture is from a Flickr friend of mine, who, or a Flickr contact of mine, who I really fond of his work because his style couldn't be more different from mine if he tried. <laughs> Generally speaking, deep, deep blacks, a lot of monochrome, but not all monochrome, but he does a thing that I absolutely adore. So most people, when they go out to photograph a steam train, especially in the UK where this is, they have much more train spotters than we do here in Ireland, you will never be alone. If there is, you know, a a steam engine hauling a a special across one of the major, you know, one of the spectacular lines like the Settle and Carlisle, the whole way along, there will be people. There will be people everywhere and they will all be scrambling to be in front of each other or next to each other, they will be scrambling to keep each other out of their shot. And they will have stepladders with them and they will be standing on their cars and they will do anything to have to make it look like the train is 100 years in the past and there isn't a single modern thing in the shot. And what this guy does, uh, actually, probably just mentioned his name. Um, so he is, his, his Flickr username is Wolfruna, but he's actually called, uh, why is it vanished from my page? It was something Maycock when I looked at it earlier. Well, why has Flickr decided not to show his real name now just when I want it? <laughs> because, because that's why. Because that's what Flickr does. That is so annoying. Okay. Anyway, it's, it's Mr. Maycock, we'll call him. That's terrible. I'm sorry. Uh, well, his thing is that he steps back. Where everyone else is trying to get in front of each other, he walks the other way. And he takes a picture of 
the real event, the modern event, the event of today, which is all of these people scrambling to get the, the old-looking photograph. And so you, all you will see in an awful lot of his photographs is a beautiful steam train on a beautiful place with a horde of photographers around it. So he's like capturing the event r- rather than what the other people are all capturing. And the chances are all of their pictures will look the same as each other and he's come home with the special picture. So in this case, it's actually not a spectacular landscape. It's a station in Germany somewhere and a beautiful German steam train is coming towards you. And he has framed the entire bottom left, bottom and right of the shot with photographers. They're all huddling there trying to get their shot. And I think it's a much more powerful shot than I'm sure any of the rest of them got out of their cameras. It, the, what strikes me, too, is the, um, the way that he has utilized those people framing him. He gets a lot of depth out of it. So that person in the left is – you would think that if he had a person – in the frame that close to you that it would distract from the picture and it would take you know what i'm saying mm. but it's but instead it what it does is it helps give the depth of depth to the picture without that person really dominating and you and having i think it's a her but i can't tell it doesn't really matter but that let's call it that photographer you know it you it having the photographer pointing at the steam train and everybody pointing at the steam steam train it goes right in but you give get those layers of people before you get to the train um so having that person so close in frame really is not a distraction it seems to me it really pushes you to to look at the train at that point i don't know i was gonna say that the the train is still the star of the of the picture in some way i mean it's uh I mean, because it's obvious because everybody's pointing to it, but there's still something. There's something about it. It's almost like these are paparazzi yeah. taking a picture of a <laughs> yeah <laughs> of yeah. a star, and that star is going to just zip by, and you know, leave them behind. Which is exactly what's going to happen because it's literally on rails. <laughs> right, but it, it puts a bit of um, puts a bit of uh, personification into the into the uh, machine itself. Well, I mean, um, these things are loved, right? Which you get from this picture. It's not right, just but, a hunk of metal. It is. It is a star. Right, but you can see pictures of trains and any other kind of uh, machine, and it not evoke uh, a sense of um, personality. And this thing has got a sense of personality based on the way everybody's sort of looking at it. And again, we have these leading lines uh, of the track and the platform and the uh, overhead wires, and even the people in some way hmm. are, have created this sort of push towards this um, black object, which is, um, from what I can tell, it's a little hard to see that it's a, I mean, you know it's a locomotive because you fill it in, but the, there's a lot of details missing. Yeah. And it's straight on from the front. Yeah, uh, so that's a train spotter. Like, if you were trying to take a picture of a German steam locomotive, this would be a terrible picture of a German steam locomotive. Right. But as a picture of the visit of a German steam locomotive to a station in the modern world, it captures the story so you have all these yeah. electric wires like when that thing was doing its work for real there was no electric wires overhead you know it's in our world and it's sort of paying a quick little visit to our modern world and it's really caught everyone's eye and the photographer on the left um you could just tell from the f- the way the face uh, is positioned i mean it looks like this person's smiling I so, would imagine they all are, yeah. Yeah, but it it feels again. It's just like you know, our our human you know instincts uh, kicking up. We get the sense of 
of a, a person who's smiling, who's happy. And so the picture becomes happy. And this is this great thing that's happening. I think if that person didn't have that, it, their face was positioned differently, it might not read the same. But this feels like a happy event. Yeah. Um, and I think that helps. Bart, you you do you do photography of trains. Maybe you can help us fill in perspective. How close is that person on the right standing to the rails? Uh, very. <laughs> uh, they, I'm assuming they're on the end of a platform, which means that that's probably not illegal. Okay. But I think they're going to get a face full of steam. <laughs> they probably live for probably live for that. Yeah, not a face full of train, but a face full of steam. Yeah. Are the uh, Let's talk photography. Lawyers want to warn everybody out there not to stand on railroad tracks to take pictures of trains. It's very dangerous. Yeah, pretty much. I will certainly say that. And generally speaking, you will find like a line painted which says, do not cross this line. My advice would be, do not cross this line. Hmm. It's not for the crack. Like These things are big and they will not – well, they might try to stop, but they will not succeed. No, And there's so many stories of people who are taking selfies on – railroad train tracks and getting bumped and hit by them and yes there's a scary video on youtube of a steam train coming hurtling through a station in the uk and people on the the opposite platform leaning out to get a shot as the passenger express was coming the other way and one guy i think he lost his lens cap but nothing else i mean it was astonishingly close miss and a modern express train it it goes through bloody fast yeah millimeters away from the guy it was like Oh my God, he's so lucky to be alive. I didn't mean to detract from a lovely photo, but no, <laughs> it's, it's, no it's a really it's good tr- point, right? Don't don't do stupid things to try to get a photograph. Also, the the perhaps the way this was photographed with a, a twenty four millimeter uh, lens on a full frame camera makes things look a little bit closer and than they probably are. Well, being a wide okay, that's definitely wide angle. That's twenty four millimeters on a full frame sensor is 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 wider than ten millimeters on my sensor. So that that actually means is that that train is actually he's actually closer to the train than it looks. But the people oh. in the foreground are not as close as they look. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Wide angle lenses are interesting. Yeah. Um, I would I would recommend actually anyone have a scroll to this guy's photo stream as a whole because. A lot of the times you'll be in a beautiful part of the countryside and there'd just be this horde of stepladdered people. <laughs> a steam train in the distance and a beautiful English countryside in the background. I, mean, I just adore that kind of idea of, you know, being there with the crowd and instead of being a sheep, just doing your own thing. Just completely not caring what everyone else is doing and coming home with a better photograph for it. So I think there that's was some, a message. There was some story I saw, I'm gonna, it was probably on Petapixel, I'm sure, past week, where a photographer went to... Um, special places where people take pictures and basically turned his camera and pointed in the opposite direction. It was taking pictures of the people who were taking pictures of, you know, like perhaps the Taj Mahal or something like that or some other landmark. And, uh, you know, that's a good point for the, you know, the audience is to, you know, sometimes pictures like this is not the event, but it's the, you know, taking pictures of the event. People doing these things can lead to a lot of really interesting things. So, uh, I would I would encourage that kind of behavior. Yeah, think, uh, yeah. Don't be a sheep. If everyone is doing the same thing, don't do that thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think we we did have spare pictures in case we needed them, but I think we'll save those. We'll keep our powder dry on our spare pictures until a future show. Um, 
I'm not saying it'll be next month, but it'll do it at some stage in the future. Because yeah, I, I really enjoy these chats about pictures. I, I think they're good fun. Okay, guys, thank you very much for giving of your time, gentlemen. Um, do you want to give people links? Uh, Mark, although your internet has held up, well, let's make sure it keeps holding up. Do you want to go first? <laughs> sure. Uh, so I'm Mark Pauly, and uh, you can see my work at TwinLakesImages.com, and you can find me on Twitter as T-L-I underscore Mark. Excellent. Antonio, do you want to plug yourself and your fine podcast? Sure. You can find me on Twitter also at AM Rosario. My website is AM Rosario. Just look for me anywhere at AM Rosario and you'll find me. Uh, Instagram, Flickr, uh, 500 pixels as well. But I'm also part of the uh, Switch to Manual team, me and Tom Martinez. So switch to manual.com and we do our Switch to Manual Street Shots podcast uh, a couple times a month. So uh, tune in for that. Excellent. Um, just a reminder to everyone, all the pictures we've talked about today will be linked to slash shown over at lets-talk.ie. When you're there looking at the beautiful photographs, you will see three large blue buttons under the heading support the show. Please consider supporting the show. Um, to all of So basically, one of the best ways to support the show in terms of effectiveness is Patreon. So this is a service that allows listeners to become patrons of the podcast or the other you know, artistic things they love. And the idea is that you pledge X amount of money, which can be a small amount of money, for every show I get out. And then at the end of the month, Patreon bundle all of those donations together and send one PayPal donation. So instead of, if you send 50 cent, PayPal will take 23 cent of that and I will get whatever 27 cent is left. But if you, if 20 people pledge 50 cent, PayPal will still get a teeny tiny cut, but the vast... A bigger percentage, basically, basically, it's efficient, right? Instead of PayPal getting all the money, the money actually makes it to me, which is why it's great. So, you know, 50 cent pledge is fantastic. There'll be exactly two shows every month, so that means a dollar or a euro, whatever currency it's in. But the thing is, that will be a really efficient euro. It'll, it'll, it'll actually make it back to me so I can use it to pay for bills and, you know, keep the show on the road. So I adore the, the Patreon is a great way to support the show and all of the patrons on Patreon. Without you guys, this show would not exist and neither would Let's Talk Apple. You guys really make it possible for me to keep podcasting. So I highly appreciate it. Um, there are also a plain old PayPal button. Uh, there is also a Zazzle store where you can buy merchandise, which means that you are a walking advertisement for the podcast, which is useful in two ways. Um, and then, of course, just tell your friends or leave a review on iTunes. It's all ways of supporting the show, and I appreciate them all. So, again, let's talk at .ie, and thank you very much to everyone who does support the show. I have been your host, Bart Bouchatz. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Are you into video games? Well, check out one of the many club podcasts here on the Stoplight Network. There's Club Nintendo, Club PlayStation, Club Xbox, and Club Steam. Whether you love Mario, love Halo, love Crash Bandicoot, or just love some good old fashioned PC gaming, make sure to check out one of the many club podcasts here on the Stoplight Network. These shows are weekly shows where we'll catch up on what we're playing, what uh, news stories are on that platform this week, and much, much more, all revolving around the wonderful world of video games. So check out Club Nintendo, Club PlayStation, Club Xbox, 
and Club Scene right here on the Stoplight Network. Ooh.